This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Good morning and welcome to Ion Real Estate on AM 970, The Answer. I'm your host, attorney Stephen Ebert. Unfortunately, Dottie Herman is not with us today, but I am joined today by industry expert Joe Wagner from Douglas Elliman. Good morning, Joe. Good morning, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us. And before we get into some of the all the different issues on going on in the market and rates and the like, we already have a caller. Uh, Barbara from the Upper East Side in Manhattan. Good morning. Good morning, and thanks for taking my call, Stephen. I think that you're amazing. I listen to you every week, and I do have a question. Um, I'm putting my co-op up on the market, and um, I am a little bit concerned about the the maintenance fees. Um, I think they're a little bit higher than other buildings in my area. And I was just wondering what your advice would be to position myself for a successful sale. Well, definitely trying to position yourself for success is critical. Uh, Joe, what kind of uh, pointers or even more questions that you might have for any seller with these circumstances? Well, first thing I'd look into is, um, oh, hi, Barbara, how are you? Uh, the first thing I'd look into is, do you, does your building offer amenities that other buildings do not? Uh, is there a health club, a gym, a, a swimming pool? The second thing is, um, was this for work that was done? Is your building in good shape? Uh, so there's no future assessments or, you know, so the, the, the enti- it's an entire package. Um, generally... Is this a co-op or a condo? It's a co-op. Okay. Generally, um, does it have amenities? It does. It does have a gym. It doesn't have a pool, but it has a health club, and it's in really good shape. Okay. Well, okay. Then the maintenance uh, could reflect that because uh, a well-maintained building, they've spent money to maintain the building. Um, So that's a plus. Um, and is your unit renovated? Yes, it is renovated. Okay, so you're good. So your building's in great shape, it sounds like, and your apartment is renovated. So in the marketplace right now, there is a premium for renovated apartments, co-ops, and condos. Uh, so people will be willing to pay a little bit more, but definitely um, there's less inventory of renovated units in the city. So you're you're in good shape there. If you need a broker, please oh. give me a call. And you know <laughs> <laughs> And you know Barbara, you know what what's so important in getting a feel for the apartment is also that there's two parts to any kind of re- residential real estate. Right there is the numbers, but I think the great points that Joe were bringing up was looking past the numbers, the psychological element. And this is where really having the right kind of expert to say, wait, what's the retail on the street, the lighting, the layout? And, you know, if you have maybe a weakness where maybe the maintenance is a bit high for a variety of reasons, um, try to highlight 
those other great things of value because you just need to find the perfect buyer and you need to find out what motivates them. And uh, Joe, I know you've done that with many listings, trying to find some things that are unique. Um, you know, one thing that always strikes me so much is how floor plans and photos of an apartment are taken. You know, can you tell some of, some of our listeners about just positioning in a property and how you spend that time to stage an apartment and some of the things that you do that can take something that's sitting there all of a sudden become eye-popping for people? You're an expert in Manhattan. What are some of the neighborhood trends that you're seeing right now? Well, definitely downtown is the strongest market. All the younger buyers want to live downtown. That's their first choice. Uh, they want to be near Brooklyn. There's a lot going on in Brooklyn at night. And so it's just an easy haul across to, uh, to Brooklyn. And, and so younger people tend to be downtown. If you go out at night, you'll see the restaurants are bustling and packed. And uptown is kind of quiet. Uh, so uh, you'll see a lot of activity downtown, and re the market reflects that. And uh, the trend definitely is towards renovated or new. So if you have a new pro new property or renovated, you are ahead of the game. The sales time for an unrenovated unit is much longer. Like if you have a renovated unit, you probably can get a sale done in two to three months. If you have an unrenovated unit, whether it's co-op or condo, it's going to be like more like seven to nine months. Uh, so there is definitely a lot more demand, less supply of renovated units in Manhattan. What are some of the amenities that really get a better return? I mean, does a doorman really matter? Does it depend on the neighborhood? And also, I know some buildings have that virtual doorman and camera system. How much would you say value that's worth? And clients that you speak to, how many times do they say, I only want a doorman, uh, otherwise I won't look at it, or eh, I don't really care? What's the sense in the market there? For the most part, most people know if they want a doorman or not. They, they want to know if they want, the, you know, they know if they want the services that a doorman offers, the security, holding packages, et cetera. I have sold to people with virtual doorman, and then they call me like six months later saying, you know, I really want a doorman, not a virtual doorman. The, my packages sit all day in the front, you know, in the front, in the lobby, and uh, there's nobody there, and, uh, you know, it's just not the same. And uh, so I think that that is, the virtual doorman is kind of nice, but it's not the same thing. Great. Now, what would you say the premium is on outdoor space now? You know, when trying to price an apartment, a lot of times you could say, oh, well, we know the range for interior space. But when you have outdoor space, you know, it's obviously trading at a different amount. Um, how do people even understand that? And, and how do they look at it from a value perspective and, and just generally things to consider with outdoor space in their apartment? Well, a large terrace definitely adds a lot of value, and it's a very unique asset in Manhattan. As far as balconies and outdoor space, if the building offers outdoor space, like as an amenity, sometimes people will, you know, forego that private balcony or terrace space. They can still have friends over for a, a barbecue or, you know, some drinks, a celebration. 
uh, outdoors, especially in the summertime or in the spring, fall. Uh, but uh, a, a terrace where you can like dine and entertain people, that's a very unique uh, situation in Manhattan. That's great. And I'll tell you, you got to be very, very careful in understanding how private outdoor space, when it's not a terrace just off your apartment, but when it's on a roof deck, understanding how private is your space versus an outdoor space for the building, and also what are the responsibilities. You know, I'll tell you, even though you hear general statements that, oh, the building's responsible for the common areas and the roof, if your outdoor decking is on top of the building roof, even if it's your area, you got to make sure you have an attorney who explains what you're responsible for as a homeowner versus the building and really take a close look of how that decking has been installed. Um, you know, it's interesting, Joe. We've actually been consulted for a few buildings where they've had a roof where they've never used it and they want to install roof decking for that building. And the studies that you need to do, make sure, you know, is it, a, is it a landmark area and you have a setback? Make sure that you don't go over the weights, both on a per square foot area and aggregate and what kind of materials. But it's a great, great value. It's just something you want to make sure that the building understands and maintains properly. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always seen, and this always kind of goes in and out of the market, is the value of storage units. You know, some buildings you're just on a wait list for a rental, and that wait list could be years. You never know. And then sometimes you can buy a storage unit. Um, but what are you seeing from a value? Because the pricing, I find, is really all over the place. And, and when you're advising a client, how do you think about how to make an offer for that storage unit with the apartment? Well, storage units are in demand, for sure. I don't know if peop when people put their things into the storage unit that... You know, if they even remember what they have in it. <laughs> but it's good for luggage and tighter apartments. But it's definitely a plus in Manhattan. People are willing to pay. I heard somebody say that the, there was a storage closet. They paid, like, some crazy amount of money recently just for a little closet in a building. Yeah, you got to be careful. And the other thing from a record-keeping point of view, this is so important, when you're in a condo and you buy a storage unit, it could be deeded, in which case you got to pay your property tax on it. It might be a very, very tiny bill and usually a small, but if you forget to pay it, the city could sell it in a tax sale. So be mindful of that. But if you have what's called a license agreement where it's not recorded and no taxes on it, there's no public record. So keep your documents. You know, we always scan the entire closing file for our clients and we maintain it. But always make sure if you have a storage unit, understand, is it deeded? Is it licensed? Is it rental for the building? What's your space? And making sure you have it. Because I'm sure you've gone to listings. People don't even know which one's their locker. They're not even labeled right. I mean, have you noticed that sometimes? Yeah, I've gone down and looked at people's storage. Um, it's interesting what they, uh, what they store in their storage lockers. Some look like they haven't been in there for years. Others look like they're actively using it. So I know we're coming up to a break soon. I want to switch to buyers from sellers. So now you have a first-time buyer that's approaching you and saying, look, my lease runs out in six months, so they have some time to look a little bit. What are some of the key things that they need to do to prepare? 
and to make sure that they're ready to work with you and have a successful buying process? Well, first, they have to prepare, get all their ducks in a row. Um, first, look at the financing. Uh, see what they're in the market for, what they can afford. Secondly, um, remove any credit card debt. Uh, talk to maybe a, cr a credit advisor um, if they are having some issues. But uh, you want to get that credit card score a little higher so you get a much better rate on your uh, mortgage if you're financing. Um, if you're going to buy a co-op, oh boy, you better get your finances pretty whistle clean and ex you know ex explicable to a board. Do they read those reference letters? Uh, probably. I, you know, I think that's partial of what it is, but I think uh, it's 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 multifaceted. It's the boards are not. It's it's a complicated process, and each building has a different board, and they're all very very different. Great, and I'll say one other thing on that vein: pets. They got they should warn you in advance if they have a dog more than one and, and and how do you sort of manage that for finding a pet friendly building and making sure everything goes smoothly for them well the pet policy is generally known prior to buildings do change their pet policies sometimes when they have a lot of dogs they'll limit the amount of dogs just you know they have a certain amount but um, I'm finding that buildings are becoming a little more pet friendly than before we have more pets than more families have pets now than before. And so uh, by limiting p pet owners, you're really limiting uh, the buyers. So uh, it's wise for the co-ops and condos to allow the uh, dogs, pets, cats are not necessarily a problem for a lot because they don't make any noise. However, uh, it's important, I think, especially near Central Park because a lot of people near Central Park have dogs. That's such a great point. We're with Joe Wagner from Douglas Elliman. Thank you so much for your knowledge and your insights on the market for buyers and sellers and helping them. And look forward to continuing our conversation. Over the past 20 years, a quiet revolution has transformed medicine. Many conditions that once required major surgery can now be treated with procedures that are far less invasive and often far more effective. Are you aware of these alternatives? Join Dr. Dan Simon for All Things Health, where he discusses cutting-edge medical advances that are providing alternatives to traditional surgery. Dr. Simon is an experienced interventional radiologist who has helped thousands of patients experience dramatic improvements, all without traditional surgery. Dr. Simon will explain later medical breakthroughs so you can be fully aware of your options listen to all things health on am 970 the answer on sundays and saturdays on am 570 and 102.3 fm the mission wmca have questions call dr simon at 1-844-534-3621 or visit allthingshealth.ai or listen to all things health on am 970 the answer on sundays and am 570 102.3 fm the mission wmca on saturdays to learn more visit allthingshealth.ai 
AI. Feel like you're trying to push a boulder uphill, wearing skates? If you run or manage a local business today, you're challenged like never before. We get it, and we want to help. We're Salem Surround, and when it comes to marketing, consider us your personal move-you-forward company. In a recent study, we found that 53% of local businesses were classified as novices when it came to designing, implementing, and managing their marketing needs. And that's where Salem Surround truly shines. We're a full-service marketing agency that'll help you increase your customer base by designing incredibly effective plans to reach your consumers day, night, and everywhere they might be. Let us give you an absolutely free audit of your current marketing and what your competition is doing. Our digital sales and support teams are the best in the industry and deliver customized personal service that's second to none. If you're a local business and ready for the next step, Google Salem Surround New York right now. Our experts are ready to help you take your marketing to the next level. Google Salem Surround New York today. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. Dennis Prager here. Join us in Israel this fall. Soon, time will run out, and then you'll regret you didn't go, I promise. Mike Gallagher and I are headed back to Israel in October with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. Don't miss this incredible opportunity to stand with Israel. That's the name of the tour. We'll be visiting amazing places in the Holy Land designed to encourage and captivate you at every turn. Visit StandWithIsraelTour.com and sign up today. In Israel, we'll explore some of the most fascinating sites from religious and political history. We'll walk on the streets of Jerusalem, sail the Sea of Galilee, float in the Dead Sea. In fact, you could even sit in the Dead Sea with all its healing and rejuvenating effects and visit the Western Wall, a spiritual experience you will always remember deeply, fondly. Our expert guides will help explain the significance of every site, and our food and accommodations are specifically designed with you in mind. No other trip will be like the Stand with Israel tour. Sign up today to travel with Mike Gallagher and me this October. Call 855-565-5519 or just visit StandWithIsraelTour.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to Eye on Real Estate on AM 970, The Answer. I'm your host today, attorney Stephen Ebert, and I'm joined by Joe Wagner from Douglas Elliman. We've been talking about the various issues that buyers and sellers face in this market, values on outdoor space, things to keep in mind when you have a pet and you're looking for a search. And we're joined by another caller, Elizabeth, who's relocating from California to New York. Good morning, Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us. Hello. How are you? Great, thanks. How are you doing? Great. Um, I don't know if this is a silly question because I'm from out of the area. I find um, it a little confusing when I'm doing searches online to kind of prep myself for the move. Um, Some of the buildings seem to have lower prices and then higher monthly maintenance costs. And then the inverse, you know, um, is also true. And I'm wondering... Are those maintenance costs, are they set? Are they something that changes? Or is it something that's negotiable? Is that, um, I guess, maybe explain to me how that works. Sure. That, it's a great question. There's a few fundamental things to keep in mind on the legal side, and then I'll hand it over to Joe on the brokerage side. Number one, everyone in a building has to be treated the same way. So whether you're in a co-op or a condominium, in a co-op you have, a number of shares, you're a shareholder in the co-op corporation, or in a condo that present common elements. 
whatever that number or percentage is, you pay a certain amount. So unfortunately, Elizabeth, there's no negotiation in saying, well, you know, you want me to move into your building, I'll be a great neighbor. They still, if you have a 1% common elements or 200 shares, they got to charge you the exact same monthly fees as someone else with 200 shares or 1%. But you're also pointing out another very interesting question. Monthly fees varying building by building. And I want to point out a couple of things before I hand it to Joe to really give a sense of the market and how these come together. One, make sure you're comparing apples to or- apples and not apples to oranges. Meaning, in a co-op, when you look at the maintenance, property taxes are included as part of your maintenance payment. While in a condominium, the common charges, or what some people might call the homeowners association fees, are separate from property taxes. So make sure you're comparing the right things with one another. And one of the ways that can give you a hint of that is in a co-op, you'll see that the maintenance is a percent tax deductible. They're referring to the property taxes and also the building underlying mortgage interest. So number one, make sure you're comparing the right things together. Also, what I find is it depends on the building. A newer building needs less maintenance than an older building, and it also depends on the size of the building, and that can be a big driver. You know, Joe, what, what are some of the things that you see to help her navigate and where to look for buildings that might have a higher monthly fee versus others? Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. <laughs> hey. Okay, so the New York market is very different than California. Uh, firstly, uh, w- there's a lot of co-ops here in New York. Um, and you'll see sometimes a much lower price on a unit. Uh, that's mainly like the, when the disparity is really big. It could be a land lease, which could be treacherous. And so basically uh, the price of the unit will be very low because it, the building sits on land that it does not own. And that landlord can raise the rent, the lease on that building maybe in 25 years it could be in 50 years but if it's coming up like in 10 years or 5 years the value of your proprietary lease that's what a co-op actually gives you uh, goes way down so that's one thing you need to be careful of now there are buildings that have high maintenance because they have a lot of services maybe they have you know a bunch of doorman elevator men valet you know some some of the buildings have a lot of services co-ops and condos um but uh there are co-ops that have a lot of maintenance because of they're older and uh, so the you'll find that you'll have uh, higher maintenance and assessments you know elizabeth one of the things that i also find sometimes because in new york the attorneys perform due diligence we look at budgets we look at financials and you want to be mindful of the size of the building, right? You could have a co-op with just four or five apartments, 40, 50 units, or even hundreds of units. And sometimes, depending upon the nature of the service, you have fewer apartments. So, for example, to, to cover the cost. So, for example, if you have a 50-unit building and there's a 24-7 doorman versus a 300-unit building with a 24-7 doorman, that salary cost is going to be the same, but you only have 50 apartments that instead of 300 affording that cost. So it's very important that you work with an expert to 
to understand what's appropriate and common in that neighborhood and that price point because you, while, of course, in an ideal world you want a lower monthly payment, you want to make sure that you have an appropriate monthly payment for the product type because ultimately today you're a buyer, one day you might be refinancing or selling that apartment, and you want to make sure that you have a product that aligns with what the market will be. Because I'll tell you, we had that prior caller, uh, you know, they exactly had some issues in this regard. Right, Joe? Yeah, uh, remember, uh, this, if you're getting a good deal on something and you think, you know, and because it has an issue, maybe it's high maintenance, maybe it's an older building, maybe the location's not so great, or maybe it's a, a, an apartment that's facing the back of the building with no view. In a good market, people jump in, but when the market is slow, all of a sudden those issues like high maintenance and the back, you know, no view, those become important to buyers and they, are, you know, they'll go, go elsewhere uh, and avoid those kind of apartments. And your issue, you'll be sitting, it'll take you a lot longer to sell it and also it'll be the same deal where you're getting it for, you know, a much lower price than let's say, an equivalent unit on the market that doesn't have those issues. Thanks for the call, Elizabeth. You know, Joe, you picked up also on a very good point that I want to touch on a little bit more, uh, land lease or ground lease buildings. And, you know, sometimes people, they hear that and they just say, I don't want to hear more, and I can understand why. But, you know, I'd like to delve into a little bit more because we have different types of ground lease situations. Right? We have Battery Park City, which is really one set of facts. Mm -hmm. And then we have some buildings that have real stressful ground leases and some which might be a good deal. Um, have you had any stories where you had a client trying to sell a ground lease building and um, some of the obstacles or, or maybe client looking at it and really sort of parsing into the weeds on, on really how to analyze that? Because clearly... They do exist, right? And there is, that is part of the market that we need to service. Well, a lot of people shy away from them, they, or steer away is a better way to put it. Uh, they, they will avoid it completely. When you're buying a, a lease, when you're, you're buying a proprietary lease in a leased property. So basically, um, you got to look at your monthly costs. And you may not have anything more than... A lease at the end of it or in one case a friend of mine just told me when the ground lease comes up in five years he's just going to give the apartment back because there's like no value because the, the maintenance is higher than renting a one bedroom you know he has a, a one bedroom and his maintenance will be higher than going out and renting one in, an, in a nicer building you know with better amenities so there's like not much value in that lease uh, but if when you're doing your calculation, you have to say, okay, let's say this apartment costs $5,000 a month to rent. And, okay, I'm buying this unit for like 200000 It should really be like 900000 But I have like a $4,000 a month, you know, uh, maintenance. You're combining all your numbers and... Uh, you're still paying about the same. So that's what you, that's the calculation you've got to do. That makes sense. Look, everything for the right price, right? You know, there's a price if you're buying a brand-new Rolls-Royce and a price if you're buying a 30-year-old used car. 
But, you know, while we still have time, I'll tell you where I see a lot of drama come up at closings. The walkthrough. Right before we have that closing, where the money is paid and the ownership is transferred, people visit the apartment. And you love it when it goes smooth, but a lot of time it goes sideways. Tell me about some of the instances you've had where it's gone sideways and, you know, how do we deal with it? Well, my classic one was an acrylic towel bar in a, a, ba- a marble bathroom. And at the closing, the owner, we did the walkthrough, and they, the owner of the unit, the seller, had removed all the acrylic fixtures that were screwed into the marble, and there were holes in, in the uh, wall in the marble and she's like what happened to all those beautiful she noticed the acrylic fixtures and uh you know towel bars and everything else and uh she said i'm not closing i said over a towel you know a couple of towel bars she yeah i want those towel bars woman calls her husband the husband says you bring back those towel bars we're closing on this unit so, <laughs> so the towel bars were returned and, and 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 put back on the wall and the closing took place nice i hope they never change them and enjoy the, t- the towel bars for many years to come <laughs> but you know it goes to show you with the same question of value right we talked earlier about value trying to sell the apartment upper east side what do people see beyond maybe the maintenance number we talked about the value in the ground lease, you know, where it might be diminished, right? We talked about how to value in buildings where um, other considerations on there. And you know what? Even if you're buying a place for millions of dollars, that acrylic towel bar can make the difference. And it's interesting how things become important to people. And this really lends itself back to what we're dealing with here. In residential real estate, we're dealing with the investment element the money part, but also the psychological element. How do people feel about the property, how much they desire the property, what their timelines are, and what their considerations are. Joe Wagner, thank you so much for all the information, your stories. And again, ladies and gentlemen, Joe Wagner from Douglas Salomon, um, broker throughout Manhattan. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here. And stay tuned for the next segment after the break with Tom Drew of Citizens Bank. You don't want to miss what's going on in the mortgage industry. Mike Lindell and MyPillow are launching the new MyPillow 2.0 with a special buy one, get one free offer. The MyPillow 2.0 offers a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. The new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a a cooler surface temperature. MyPillow knows core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. The new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Machine washable and dryable with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee and made in the USA. Just go to the radio listeners page at MyPillow.com, use the promo code AM970 or call 800-651-0798 800-651-0798 Don't miss this incredible opportunity to buy one, get one free on the new MyPillow 2.0 800 Are you considering a unique way to enhance your investment knowledge this year? Then sign up today for the all-inclusive Eagle Financial Publications Cruise. Along with our trusted partner, The Money Show, we're setting sail this December to explore some of the most beautiful and unspoiled destinations in the Caribbean. 
but this is no ordinary vacation. It's a chance to learn from top Eagle financial experts like best-selling authors George Gilder, Mark Skousen, and others who will be hosting a series of workshops and seminars throughout the trip. Imagine lounging on the sun deck while discussing investment strategies with like-minded individuals or enjoying a gourmet dinner at the same table with one of our leading financial authorities. This once-in-a-lifetime cruise is a perfect way to combine education and relaxation to achieve your investment goals. This cruise will sell out quickly, so visit EagleFinancialCruise.com today to learn more and to secure your cabin. That's EagleFinancialCruise.com. Eagle Financial is a division of Salem Media Group. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. What are you doing this fall? Would you like to go to Italy with yours truly, Jersey Joe? Where are we going? Well, let me tell you. Rome, Catania, Taormina, Savoca, Forza d'Agro, Mount Etna, Palermo. That's Rome and Sicily, baby, for nine full days. What a trip. We're going to have a ball, enjoy wonderful food, and taste classic Italian wine at Mount Etna and see some actual sites used in iconic Godfather scenes. It's a trip you'll remember for years to come. If all goes well, you may even be treated to the best entertainment team since Martin and Lewis, Piscopo, and Perillo. Have your cameras ready. Call Perillo Tours at 800 800- 431-1515-800-431-1515 to secure your reservation now on this very limited tour before it sells out. Go online, please, to perillotours.com. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Welcome back to Ion Real Estate. This is Stephen Ebert, and I'm, it's my pleasure to have Mr. Tom Drew with us. Tom is the regional vice president and head for the New York City market for residential lending for Citizens Bank. They're a terrific lender that I've had a chance to work with many times. Tom, welcome to the show. Stephen, it's, uh, I'm so happy to be back. Uh, looking forward to catching up and talking about real estate and finance and everything that uh, people are interested in these days. Well, last time we had you on the show, Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank, First Republic Bank, weren't in the news. A lot's happened. So let's take a step back, and if you want to tell us about what's going on at Citizens Bank and how you're looking at residential lending in the area market. Yeah, so yeah, it's been a while, and uh, th- those were some pretty big events in in my world, and I'm sure in uh, finance world in general. Um, and listen, it, if the Fed maybe hadn't had to raise rates so quickly uh, for sure, over such a short period of time, we may not even be having this discussion, but be that as it may, uh, you know, a lot has changed. And look, I think it's Citizens and, and several other institutions. Uh, we're looking at the, the New York market as still one of the greatest markets in the country. Uh, real estate is a tremendous uh, sound investment. Prices have been very stable even throughout all of this. And, uh, you know, we're committed to lending, and I know many of my other uh, colleagues and peers at other institutions are, are as well. I would say the one thing that may have uh, changed a bit is uh, – Pushing the limits, right? I don't know if too many lenders out there are willing to maybe, say, approve some of the the marginal, you know, people that are on the, the bubble, so to speak. 
in terms of baby credit score or debt income ratio or even loan to value. So you know, look, if you're a great borrower and you're, you have good credit and income and assets and you're meeting the guidelines for you know, many of the institutions out there, you're not going to have any issues at all getting financing. Uh, but I would say that's probably the biggest change, say, in the last few months. You know, a number of great points that you raised, Tom, but let me focus in on for a second on affordability, because affordability is such a big question in the market. And we have a few different headwinds out there, right? We've had an environment where the Fed has raised rates. Maybe they're coming to a pause. Maybe they might do some more. Maybe a year or two from now, maybe they'll cut rates. A lot of uncertainty there. Pricing has remained strong. The rental market is still expensive for for many people and saving up that money for that down payment. So what are some of the tricks when you have a borrower come to you trying to navigate that rates have gone up a little bit pricing is still high what are some of the things that you can advise to clients and prospective clients on how to still make home ownership affordable in this kind of environment yeah i think that's a great question and that's where the challenge is in this marketplace i mean look uh depending on where you're searching i say the further you go from you know new york's new york city right let's just call it like Midtown Manhattan, uh, the further north, you know, west or east, you can get properties that are a little more affordable, right? If you're trying to live in Manhattan, um, <clears throat> that's a that's a tall uh, task to try to find something that's of the affordable uh, range. So you know, we, I think the best thing to do is to look at, <clears throat> sit down with every individual, look at their income, look at their assets and their credit, and then have a conversation to say, look, here's probably, you know, here's the max of what I can approve you for, but let's talk about what you feel comfortable spending every month, right? In terms of uh, your budget, uh, or even if they don't have a budget, maybe let's let's look at that. You know, here's here's what comes along with home ownership. You know, other expenses that maybe as a renter, you're not prepared to pay. So we need to account for that. So I think backing into something that that works in terms of monthly payment is the first place to start. And then, of course, hey, you know, in some cases, um, there are ways to help borrowers with down. There's down payment assistance programs out there. You know, um, actually, if I can have you, t- have you zoom in on that one in particular, because down payment assistance is a big one. And a couple of questions I have on that one. Number one, you always hear different things in the news. And a lot of times they're mixing and matching different banks and programs. But one of the big questions that I have clients ask when they're looking is, do the banks only lend 80%? Are there some programs and way to have a lower down payment? C- can you talk a little bit about how that would work for consumers? Sure. So uh, banks, if they're in the you know the New York market, uh, they're, they're tasked with meeting um, Community Reinvestment Act requirements. So there, we are required as a lender to lend to not just you know the wealthiest uh, borrowers, but of all income um, ranges. So low to moderate income is definitely something that you know we are required to meet. And as such, there are programs out there that are designed to help low to moderate income borrowers purchase a property. One of the one of the ways um, that they can apply for grants um, lenders do have their own funds they set aside for 
say, closing cost assistance or down payment assistance. But, you know, you really need to be aware of that, right? And what every lender has potentially a different program that they offer. Like, say, a lot of them out there have a 97 loan-to-value product, which is requires a 3% down payment, and, and the lender would cover the mortgage insurance on that. So in many cases, that offers so that's a really a more important point. I just want the audience to hear that there are some programs where the lender, not necessarily the borrower in all cases, will cover that private mortgage insurance premium payment. That's a big difference because that can be, you know, a number of thousands of dollars uh, up front. So that, that's a great point, Tom. Yeah, and we see how it helps a lot of borrowers um, get into the home that, you know, maybe if they had to pay the mortgage insurance, um, it wouldn't be possible. So even uh, even just a few hundred dollars a month can make a difference. And we find that um, uh, combining that along with a down payment assistance program or a grant or some other uh, options that are available out there, depending on the county you live in, um, you know, it, there's, there's a lot of information out there. So I would suggest you find out from a lot of these uh, providers of grants or down payment assistance, which lenders uh, they're approved to offer those grants with. Because right? not every lender will participate um, and not every lender is willing to accept that grant and uh, you know put the lien on the property. So you really wanna get all those facts after you've sort of determined Hey, what's my you know what's my price point? What's my price range? What can I afford every month? That oh, those options are just great ways to kind of accelerate the process, right? So instead of you having to save the money for the closing costs or save the money for additional money down, there are programs out there that can help you with that. Now, Tom, also in an environment where you want to be competitive is what advice that sellers can give. And one thing that we've seen on transactions is where the seller might give a credit and pay a point to bring down the rate for the borrower. Can you just explain to our audience what does it mean to pay a point in general and how that can work and how even a seller, not necessarily the borrower, pays that point to really make housing more affordable on a transaction? Yeah, and, uh, and it's it's really um, different for every property, right? Every purchase price will um, will impact um, how much the interest rate will change your your payment every month. But in the case of a seller paid uh, buy down, we call that right, or it's either a, a discount point, you know, paid at closing by the seller, and one point, two point, even up to three points can have a dramatic impact on the interest and, and rate. Tom, and Tom, can you just explain what a point is for our audience first, please? Sure. Yeah, one point. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point. One, one point is 1% of the loan amount. So what the lender is saying is like, hey, if you're going to prepay this interest at closing in, in terms of a discount point, 1%, many lenders will say discount the interest rate for the next 30 years by, say, a quarter of a percent. So in some cases, uh, on adjustable rate mortgages, it actually could be more than a quarter percent. So what we try to do is, you know, work out the math between buyers and sellers. And look, sometimes it's the price of the house that you ultimately get as a seller or what the buyer ultimately pays for it has sometimes less of an impact than the interest rate you're paying at closing, right? 
depending on the amount of financing you take. One of the strategies that people have had, because rates have moved up so much in the last 6 to 12 months, is saying, I'm going to go get an ARM, an adjustable rate mortgage, and I'm going to play the mark a little bit. I'll have a rate guaranteed for a few years, and then I'll refinance, and hopefully by then the fixed are lower. Can you just talk a little about where the market is, some of the pricing spreads between fixed and adjustables right now, and some of the strategies that are coming up for people to consider um, in this uncertain time with rates? Yeah, I I love uh, this particular topic because I think it's uh, something that, you know, really can make a big difference in the strategy on a go-forward basis when you purchase a home. So adjustable rate mortgages uh, based on a 30-year term could be fixed for five years, the first five years of the loan, the first seven years, or the first 10 years. And between those products of five and seven and 10, there's, there's not a big spread between the interest rate. Where you can get a fairly large spread in rate is when you go from, say, a 10-year a a arm to a 30-year fixed, right? That spread right now, depending on how much you're borrowing, could be half a percent and could be upwards of three-quarters of a percent in the spread between those two products. That's- and the other thing that we try to show is, hey, you know what, on the arms, the ability to buy the rate down with discount points, which we mentioned before, it's it's a greater return on your investment on an adjustable rate than it is on a 30-year fixed. So for instance, you know, one, one point paid upfront on an arm today might yield a half a percent off your base rate versus a 30-year fix where that one point might only buy the rate down a quarter of a percent. So, Tom, I want so to interrupt you... to make a point to the audience. Very critical point that buying a point does not necessarily have the same equal result in the lowering of your interest rate. That can change based on the market. That can change based on the loan product. So it's very, very important that you have the conversation with your loan officer and understand the difference between buying down the rate by one point on a fixed versus a 10-year adjustable or a five-year adjustable. Sorry to interrupt, but I think it's so important that they understand there is not one point equals a quarter percent or a half a percent rate reduction. It's very timing market specific, very product specific. And and also, in many cases, very lender uh, specific as well. You know, where some lenders are willing to discount further on an arm uh, than others. So, now that's where really taking the time to understand those products and and the potential buy downs on the interest rate is important. You should take take the time to, to look into that in combination with um, you know potentially the seller helping you out um, and ultimately um, you know in terms of the the average lifespan of a mortgage, right? Like this is kind of the reason why you'd want to look at the arms or the fixed. I mean, traditionally, the average lifespan of a mortgage is less than eight years. So if you're trying to look at the statistics there and say, all right, well, if I take a 10-year arm, chances are, if I look at what individuals typically do, is they either sell or refinance that mortgage they took within eight years, right? So you've covered the entire 
lifespan of the average mortgage in a 10-year mortgage, 10-year fixed. When you get a mortgage, it's either a primary residence, a second home, or an investment property. But if you get a primary residence mortgage, the requirement is that you intend to move in within 60 days and keep it as your primary residence for a year. So you can buy a property, keep it as your primary for a year, two years, and then turn into an investment property and the bank is okay with that. So it's really important that these three pillars are all talking with each other to align and get the right product. Now, Tom, just because I don't want to run out of time without talking about it, tell me what's going on with the bank and the industry with investment loans. Are banks back, you know, backing away from them? Are they nervous? Do you need more down? And, and really, how different are the rates between an investment product and a primary loan? So, well, you know, we, banks all use guidelines to underwrite mortgages these days. And, and I, since I've been doing mortgages over 20 years, right? Uh, and if you fit the guidelines that the bank has, you can you can get the loan, right, on an investment property, a second home, or a primary residence. So that really hasn't changed. I think what, from what I see, my vantage point, um, the investment property itself, those rates have been pushed up pretty high, but the adjustments that banks have made on the rates that they charge uh, for investment, say, versus a second home or in a, in a primary residence, the spread has definitely widened quite a bit. So what that means is, say, let's say your primary residence today is, I don't know, for argument's sake, 6.5% on a 30-year fixed. Your investment property interest rate with even a little more money down, say 25% down, could be as high as you know 7.75% on the same product. So that's a pretty big spread between primary residence and an investment property, which is why right now I would say the banks are kind of paying close attention to the occupancy, right, of, of the property. Like say somebody says, oh, this is gonna be my primary residence, I'm gonna move into it. Well, you generally it generally has to make sense, right? It can't be, I'm buying the house, uh, you know, two blocks away from me, <laughs> and I'm not selling the existing home I have. Well, but, I'm going to throw know, in. Gonna I'm going to throw in one more variable just to make things a little bit more difficult for you. Airbnb. So I'm going to buy it to live in there, but when I go on vacation, a week here, a week there, I'll do Airbnb. Is that a primary? Is it an investment property? Does the bank care? What's going on over there? Yeah. So, so I guess technically. Um, and, you know, you could always ask your accountant this or CPA, but uh, the IRS generally only allows you to rent weeks a year, your primary, um, right, to show the income on that. So, uh, you know, you start going beyond two weeks, uh, you run the risk of having question the occupants, right? Or, uh, you know, I, I guess there's a potential for you having problems getting another mortgage, right, when you go to apply and you're like, no, trust me, I swear, this one's going to be a primary residence. Or this is the bank's to be like, look, it looks like you have a history of doing this, and um, you know, we're not so we're not too sure what you're going to be doing. So in many cases, they'll err on the side of caution and say, we'll do this loan for you as an investment property, because we don't really know, you know, we can't really tell what your intent is based on what you're showing us. Can you talk about what's the process to get a condo approved for a VA loan? So there, there is a process to get 
both a, an FHA loan and a VA loan approved for uh, to purchase as a condo. The the VA has a, a a questionnaire and a set of guidelines that the condominium follow in order for the VA to approve it. So there is there is some extra due diligence and legwork that needs to take place to get that condo. And 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 sometimes some of the requirements the condo board or the you know the people that own there may not agree to do that you know in terms of guaranteeing certain things for a period of time or you know uh, agreeing to, to carry some of the costs when you know the individual in the association uh, need to cover it so the the VA is very concerned for veterans and it should be right and uh, you know veterans have served this country and so there's an extra layer of protection for the veteran in pretty much every transaction, right? They want to make sure that the veteran is not being put in a situation where but now, there will Tom, be surprise costs. Would you say that any building, though, that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac would approve, that the uh, VA would pretty much, as long as they were given the information and the application filled out, it would generally be okay? Or do they have to really be concerned and wait for that approval? Um, and I know we're speaking generally. Obviously, every building. Yeah, is I would unique. say in general, in general, yes, because you know Fannie and Freddie's uh, guidelines are they're fairly robust when it comes to uh, condos. But uh, you know there are some things that the VA may not be okay with that Fannie and Freddie is okay with. So you know I would just um, you know the, the one thing you know for sure if it's approved FHA condo then you definitely can get a VA loan in there how does the bank look at somebody who wants to use an LLC a limited liability company to buy a property whether for investment or the second home how, do, does the bank allow that does it affect the rates can they do that simple answer is yes all, and all the owners of the LLC you know must be on the mortgage and the note for that transactions it's uh, fairly straightforward and it can be done for primary, second home, or investment property. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tom Drew from Citizens Bank. Always great having you on the show and look forward to having you back again. Thank you, Stephen. Take care now. Thank you so much for joining us today. 